This is Soundstage founder Doug Schneider. You're listening to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast, your semi-regular deep dive into news, facts, opinions, and anecdotes about everything that really matters in the world of high-performance audio. Hosts Brent Butterworth and Dennis Berger have more than five decades worth of audio product testing experience and a few hours of podcasting experience as well. Now, here's Brent and Dennis. Hello, this is the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. I am Brent Butterworth, editor of Soundstage Solo. And I'm Dennis Berger, editor of Soundstage Access. And we are here to deal with the issues that are facing audiophiles this week or this quarter or this month or something. Recent (laughs) issues of of critical importance facing audiophiles, issues you need to know about and and to contemplate. And we are here to inform you on those issues so you can make an intelligent contemplation about them. Do do audiophiles have kitchen table issues? Is that what we're doing here? They do. No one else at the kitchen table wants to listen about it, but the, but they do have kitchen table issues. <laughs> What's our first issue this week? What are we, oh, we talking about? Well, we should, we should we should mention we are part of the Soundstage Audiophile Network, soundstage.com. It's a network of nine microsites plus one awesome podcast and some but some videos too. Mm-hmm. Um that are dealing with a whole lot of different little uh, sub subject matters of audio. So no matter what you're interested in audio, consumer audio at least, you can find some plenty of stuff here to read or listen to or watch. So our first topic of this particular podcast is going to be about an article by a guy named Andrew Heinzman. He's writing for ReviewGeek.com. And the article is titled... Why surround sound doesn't make sense for music. So we're going to kind of chew that around a little bit because you and I both have a couple decades of of experience at least thinking about the subject and digging Mm -hmm. into it on various levels. And then we will segue gracefully into... Hi, I want to talk about Can Jam SoCal 2022. Um, We have a bit of a tradition here at the podcast where when show coverage hits the Soundstage Network, we we talk about the coverage and we talk about the things that we wish we could have seen. But in this case, you wrote the show coverage for Can Jam SoCal 2022. So I want to talk to you about what you saw there, what was cool, what people should take away from it and uh, point them toward your coverage. Cool. What do we what do we want to wrap up with this week? So we are going to wrap up with from the Absolute Sound. Uh, they gave one of their Golden Ear Awards, which I guess is their year-end awards, to the new Metaxas and Sins Tourbillon TRX reel-to-reel tape deck and it's a $36,000 tape deck and we are not here to ridicule this $30,000 $36,000 tape deck but to kind of praise it and to talk a little about reel to reel and the reel to reel revival yeah but first before we dig into anything i want to talk about something um, as a lot of people might know, one of the ways that uh, sort of podcasts get promoted is by reviews, especially on iTunes. And, you know, we look at the reviews that people leave. But there was a recent mm-hmm. review of the Soundstage Audiofall podcast that I found very disturbing. It was a one-star review, not our first. You know, people people often disagree sure. with this, and, and that's fine. But this particular user... <sighs> 
he thinks he's disagreeing with us and everything he says that we said, we didn't say. In fact, it's just the opposite and that bothers me. So I want to sort of clear the air. Let me just read the review. First off, he starts by calling us company men. I guess he's mm-hmm. implying that we are in the pocket of MoFi because the topic of conversation that bothered him was our discussion about MoFi gate. Mm. Um I'll just read the review. Um, He says, these guys clearly don't do their research, which, okay, valid. Um, (laughs) But he goes on. In their MoFi episode, they essentially report that MoFi never made any misrepresentation of their product and instead let reviewers perpetuate some myth about their product. First off, I want to say that is actually completely the opposite of what we said. We said that they, you know, withheld information and that that was tantamount to deception. Um, He goes on to say the MoFi records in question were called one-step records and clearly claimed to be directly from the analog source, hence the one-step moniker. We explained that and that they left out a step, you know, which and and that's not really what one step in their in their terminology means. It means they're they're bypassing the mother and father. Let's not get too technical. It's it's, that's not the point. He goes on. It turns out many were not directly from analog source and had a digital step in the middle. It was false advertising. That's exactly what we said. Um, And then. He he concludes by saying, at the end of the day, if you are a digital-only audiophile and were not impacted by the information, as one of the hosts clearly indicated, you may want to reconsider commenting on the issue. Look, we all have our biases, man. And and I, I laid my biases out clearly in that episode. And, and I said, this doesn't affect me. And what I tried to bring to the conversation was what I thought were valid perspectives of people who did feel impacted by this. I was trying to, uh, as best I could, you know, empathize with their position. It just bothers me that somebody listened to that and we've become so entrenched in tribalism that he heard me say, I don't really do vinyl, and then assumed that I was like hating on vinyl, which is not the case. I mean, we try. Look, I know you and I get outrageous here. We often do. But we're also trying to bring nuance to this. And and just yeah. because we're silly and goofy and we laugh a lot, I think we're both trying to get away from black and white perspectives on this. For So, so for us to have yeah, a nuanced conversation, so, so for this guy to the drop perspective, up. You know, it's, so often it is tribal and it is black and yeah. white and we're right and the other guys are wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, we don't we don't like to do that because that, that appalls us. I mean mm-hmm. – but you know, it's it, look we we look we are public people here at least on this forum, and we're going to get some one star reviews, and we're not oh. going to agree with some. Some of them might be insightful, but this one we don't agree. I mean, hey man, even the Eagles get one star reviews <laughs> from me. <laughs> oh, I've had a really bad day, man. Um, yeah, no, like I said, not our first star review. It's just that the first this is the first one star review that bothered me because it's so far off base. Yeah. What he's claiming we said is the exact opposite of what we said. And that like oh, if you're well. gonna hate me, hate me for what I actually believe, not this invention that you've created of what I didn't say. So Okay, so speaking of nuance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I can't wait to see this segue. Let's get into our let's get into our first topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the article Why Surround Sound Doesn't Make Sense for Music by Andrew Heinzman on Review Geek. And I mm-hmm. just want to say, starting out, as we, I think we're gonna criticize some things in this article, but I like this guy because I swear to God. 
I saw Rush in 1977 on the Farewell to Kings tour. I swear to God, this guy was standing right next to me. <laughs> I mean, he looks he looks like he was just plucked out of a 1970s rock concert, which I, which I think is cool as all hell. Yeah. But <laughs> I wish yeah. I I wish I had the guts not to sell out. Um, so anyway. So let's talk about what he talks about. Um, yeah, what's his thesis here? Well, his um, due to I'm just going to read his first couple lines. Due to a growing interest in home theaters and spatial, well, okay, there's not a growing interest in home theaters, but let's leave no. that aside. Due to the growing interest in home theaters and spatial audio, surround sound music is back on the map. But I believe that this is just a trend. Music sounds awful in surround sound, and without massive advancements in technology, stereo will, will remain the format of choice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that's, uh, I, I will just make a little side note here. Uh, in the Tape Op, Tape Op is an awesome magazine about pro audio. And um, Bob Clear Mountain, the very, very famous mixing engineer, uh, recording engineer, was interviewed for them a couple weeks ago. And he was talking all about how he does Dolby Atmos. And he's kind of like, yeah, oh yeah, man, everybody wants you to do Atmos. And he's like, yeah, yeah, probably in a couple years. <laughs> They won't, <laughs> but whatever. So yeah. I, I there, there, look, there's, we, we've, we've both seen, I was marketing director for Dolby when they were trying to do surround sound music and it bombed. Um, and not cause it sucked. It just was too complicated and complicated. nobody cared. And yeah, the hardware worked. was complicated. So, but this guy's yeah, saying yeah. a lot of things that I kind of thought were a little, a, a little, you know, misconceptions mm-hmm. and, I'd, I'd like to kind of, but but there, I, I wouldn't have brought this article to your attention if I didn't think these misconceptions were common. I've seen other writers do the same thing. And what what he's kind of, the first thing is he's kind of, a lot of writers say that Dolby Atmos, you know, or spatial music sounds a certain way mm. and it doesn't. You know, it's, it is a, there is no inherent sound to this. You can run Dolby Atmos in mono if you want to. You can run it in stereo. You can run it with, I don't know what the channel limit is. It's a lot. Um, let's say, you know, 35 channels or something like that, right? So it doesn't have an inherent sound of its own. And it's also, an, it's just a, a carrier for audio files. It doesn't do anything to the audio files except for put them in certain places, right? Whatever mm. places you assign to them. It doesn't have a filtering effect. It doesn't have, you know, he's talking about how, uh, you know, s- surround sound isn't kind to the mid-range. It's like, huh? What? Where does that come from? I mean, yeah. I guess you could say that in that, if you had said that 25 years ago, back when there were a lot of really, really bad center speakers Mm. and you said surround sounds, not kind to the mid range. I'd say, well, that's not technically accurate. However, in practice, yes, most center speakers suck and therefore you have a point. But in this case, it doesn't, you know, it just doesn't make, it's not a valid point anymore. If it's unkind to the mid range, then the person doing the mixing is at fault. The format is not at fault. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you think so, explain to me the mechanism by which it is unkind to the mid range. And I think that's yeah. a good thing for all audio writers. When you say that something happens, explain, you know, it. you should be able to explain the mechanism by which it happens. Mm-hmm. That's a really good check on, 
on your own, you know, it's a good fact check for, for yourself is if you say, oh, this thing, you know, transforms the sound of a system. Well, explain to me how it does that and explain to me in a plausible way. Don't, don't talk about fairy dust or anything like that. And don't talk about special magnetic energy and don't talk about, uh, uh, I got to say it again, RF wave that supposedly (laughs) destroy and add white noise to audio signals and stuff. It's like, tell me how it, tell me how it does that and tell me how it does that. You know, tell somebody with a, with a bit of, you know, some engineering and science knowledge, how it does that. Mm-hmm. And see if it passes with them. If it passes with that with that kind of person, well, fine. Yeah. Um, I think so, the author sort of sets himself up for some of these criticisms. Yeah, he, he does. Takes, However, there's, I mean, no, can I just say there's a, there's going to be a lot in here I agree with. So keep going. Oh sure, sure. There's a lot in here that I agree with too. But he's doing something that bothers me, and then he's taking his subjective impressions and trying to present them as an objective statement of fact. Yeah, I I have said far and wide, I don't like Dolby Atmos movies. I don't like Dolby Atmos for movies. I like it mm-hmm. for video games. I, I've found that I like it a lot of times for music. I don't like it for movies. I find it distracting. But the way I present that is by saying it distracts me. I find myself being taken out of the viewing experience by the overuse of discrete overhead sound effects. I find that often mixers are using it as a gimmick and that takes me out of the experience. But what I do not say is Dolby Atmos is objectively bad for movies that you, you just you can't take your personal subjective impressions and 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 write them down as edicts it just that's when you're setting yourself up for criticism so even though i yeah. agree with what a lot of what this guy says i completely disagree with the way he's couching it <clears throat> yeah so he also says you know music is conceived for stereo and i want to mm-hmm. really make a point here this is something that's, that is misconceived by so many audiophiles musicians accepting extremely rare cases which i'll get into Musicians don't conceive music for stereo. They <laughs> no, conceive, so I, they con- I have to say, when you were writing Buddy's Bounce, like, yeah. when, and, there, and there was the like, did you yeah. not hear that at like, you know, 11 o'clock? It is, was that not in your head off to the left of the sound you, stage you when you, you were writing that? Buddy's <laughs> Bounce is a tune off of my hit record, Take Two. Um, <laughs> just so we know, available in... Available on all streaming services. Um, mm-hmm. I was going to say stores, but no. Anyway, no. so uh, no, you don't think that way. Musicians do not think that way. Um, mm. They they think of you know a, a, a rhythm. Maybe they maybe they come up with a melody first. Maybe they come up with a lyric first. Maybe they come up with a cool guitar lick first. Maybe they come up with a cool bass line first. Maybe they come up with a drum rhythm. Maybe they sample something. Maybe they grab a a James Brown drum sample or something like that and and patch it onto this and they think all about that and they don't conceive of music and stereo and there are there are, the only exceptions are like David Chesky okay the you know the head of Chesky Records and a great recording artist in his own right yeah so when he thinks of some of his really way out there spatial audio things that he's doing yeah he's he's not only thinking of it in stereo he's thinking of it in spatial audio right and for mm-hmm. most of their work he has thought very much about what's this going to sound like in stereo and then there's me and i write stuff 
because I write, you know, the, the incidental music for this, a lot of the incidental music for this podcast. And since we're supposed to be audiophile and since it's stereo, I try to come up with tacky ping pongy things that will make people, yeah. you know, listen to them in headphones or their car stereo and they go, wow, ding, 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 that's stereo. Yeah. And so unless you're talking about something like that, music is just not conceived. That's just not the way music works. Music, musicians are not thinking about all these things audiophiles talk about. No. Now, no. I, I want to find some common ground with this guy, though, because there's if you look at the the balance of what he talks about, I don't really disagree. No, um, no, I really don't. I mean, he talks about how surrounds about the rear channels and he's saying like, you know, it's sometimes that they just dump less important instruments like tambourines in the rear channels. Yeah, they do. And mm -hmm. he's talking about how, you know, uh, maybe the mix will use the rear speakers to swirl something around your head. But unless you're listening to something like Jimi Hendrix, the spinning around in your head thing feels like a cheap trick. And I agree. It's like I was listening to our, our friend, uh, Lauren Dragon, the headphone editor of Wirecutter, uh, she and I were listening to some early Atmos stuff on my, uh, on a full Atmos speaker system at my house because I wanted to see what she thought of it. And, yeah. oh, there was some hip-hop thing and th that she liked. It was a, some uh, some artist she really dug. And mm -hmm. and then she, and some sounds came out of the back. And she's like, she's like, oh, they put that sound in the back. Neat. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, I, I, we're supposed to get excited because you put a tambourine in the back or you put some thingy in the back and you swirl. It's like, come on, give me a break. I agree with him completely on that, and I agree mm -hmm. with him on you know he talks about how uh, you know a lot of spatial audio kind of sounds. What's I'm looking for the the word he the exact wording. Anyway, he's talking about how a lot of. Uh, a lot of spatial audio, however it's delivered, whether it's delivered on speakers or with headphones or something, just sort of makes the instruments and vocals often sound disembodied and and kind of spacey. And and I agree with him. I I but but that's a that's not inherent to the format because there are no. great ambient mixes that yeah. don't sound like that. But there's yeah, listening to like especially on headphones, you listen to spatial audio and some of it just sounds like kind of yeah, spacey and disembodied and right. There yeah. are times when you want that, right? But if it's a pop tune you and it's a vocal, you probably don't want that or some guitar hook or something. You probably mm. don't want it spacey and dis... Now, if it's a, a hip-hop tune, let's say. You know, a lot of times in hip-hop tunes, they have real sort of spatial effects that are just kind of lightened in the background, little keyboard punches and things like that or little percussion things. And yeah, those mm -hmm. can... If, if those sound big and gigantic and spacey and disembodied, then, you know, job well done. But... I, or so something find, like Blue Man Group. I think Blue Man Group just, sure. you know, their stuff sounds amazing in surround sound because it's, I mean, it, it's every channel in that is 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 just cranked to the floor, right? And it, and it works for that music because they are about experimenting with tones and textures and things like that. They're using these PVC instruments. And in a lot of cases, it's, it's their stuff is about the experience of sound for the sake of experience of sound. So in that case, it, it really works when it gets wild and out there. But, you know. Yeah. Now, he concludes by saying, uh, developments in Dolby Atmos virtualization and beamforming speakers could revolutionize music. Revolutionize music. It just won't happen anytime soon. How does he know that? How does he know when it's going to happen? Well, virtualization and beamforming are mature technologies. Mm. Uh, you know, virtualization's been around for well, at least 30 years. Mm. And 
beamforming speakers, I first encountered those at least 25 years ago. Yeah. And you know the physics of it are well understood. And yeah, it was pretty primitive at first, however, as was virtualization. But now with the kind of DSP horsepower that you have, uh, and you know, we've seen beamforming speakers from you know, with just as just a few drivers to you know the, those uh, those ones that Pioneer came out with, which by the way worked beautifully, had mm. oh I think thirty or forty or fifty drivers in them, um, and there were Yamaha ones like that too. There was right? the Yamahas, not quite as many drivers, but still a lot. And and Sonos uses beamforming in uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of their their like you know their sound bars and stuff. And I from having heard a. A lot of the Atmos soundbars, maybe most of them at this point, there's a lot of heavy-duty virtualization and beamforming technology happening in those things. What's one of the reasons I can't measure them anymore? Because um, <laughs> because those things throw the measurements way off because they're designed to trick two ears and a brain. Oh. And when one microphone listens to that, one microphone goes like, "What is?" I mean, I'm. I'm anthropomorphizing a microphone, but whatever. Um, <laughs> the, a, a single, you know, omnidirectional microphone is just completely, when you look at how an analyzer, if when you look at the readout on the analyzer, you look at it, and it's just a complete mess. Yeah. So, and, and sometimes, let's just say, on some of these sound bars, even when you put them in bypass mode, they have virtualization going on. They just don't tell yep. you. And I know that for a fact because I used to consult on them. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, and I don't argue with that. I think it's great because whatever sounds good to the consumer is fantastic. And th- I would make the same decision because who cares yeah. if somebody can measure? I mean, how like like two people have ever tried to do that? I think me and and Gene Delasala from Audioholics are the only yeah. ones who ever bothered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, that's not a, that's not a too 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 prosperous of a target market to be shooting at. Um, yeah. So anyway, you want to move on to the next topic? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. The next topic is going to be your coverage of Can Jam, SoCal 2022. Cool. So uh, we're going to take a little break, listen to some groovy tunes, and uh, yeah, we'll be right back. Okay. Welcome back to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. I'm Dennis Berger. And I am Brent Butterworth. And in the second segment, Brent, we're going to be talking about your coverage of CanJam SoCal 2022, which is up on SoundstageGlobal.com. Anybody who mm-hmm. goes to SoundstageGlobal, I think this is uh, some of the most recent coverage. Um, it is. 
Cancham SoCal 2022 was September 17th to 18th. So a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago, as we record this, I didn't get to go, but you did. <laughs> What's funny is we normally cover the shows like uh, we take a Statler and Waldorf approach to the coverage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're, we're sitting up in the balcony, <laughs> you yeah. know, reflecting on somebody else's coverage. But this is actually your coverage. So you My got coverage. to see this stuff and hear this stuff. And you got three pieces. You've got uh, one, one blog that is about earphones and then two about headphones. I guess the first thing I want to ask is, I think it's pretty safe to say you've kind of seen it all when it comes to headphones and earphones. I would assume it's kind of hard to like super impress you. Is there anything in the show that super impressed you? Yes, absolutely. No, there's a lot of sort of, you know, workaday new developments, you know, a new, uh, you know, Hi-Fi Man's got a new, uh, uh, closed back model of the Sundara, which has been a very popular headphone. And it's like, oh, I think I got the price wrong in the article. I think it's $399, not $499. Oops. Oh, I'm going to get fired. Oh, well. But, um, and, you know, that's cool. That's great. That's something that fills a market niche and that probably is going to be pretty good. And I'm looking forward to reviewing it. However, there was a lot of more sort of uh, higher end stuff that was pretty dazzling. So there was, I mean, probably the, I think, I think most people would agree that the most dazzling thing at the entire show was <clears throat> the, a set of headphones. Well, there's like, I mean, there's also like the, the Mez, uh, 109 pros, which I just got done reviewing. And by the time people read this, they can, or by the time people listen to this, they can go on to, uh, soundstage solo and read the review so those debuted at this show beautiful set and they're like 800 bucks they're not crazily priced um and god they were oh i don't want to i don't want to spoil my review but really worth looking at but um probably the most interesting thing was the spirit torino uh val spirit torino is the name of the company and the name of the headphones is valkyria titanium and they are made from titanium, and they look unbelievably spectacular. And they are twelve thousand dollars. Golly, gulp! So they have an isobaric driver arrangement, which is really interesting because so an isobaric driver arrangement is like if you took two speaker drivers and you put one of them kind of and you put them, you know, front to back, whereas like the cone of one of them is firing into the magnet of the next one, right? Mm-hmm. And then you seal them into the same chamber. That's isobaric. And basically what that does is it it you know boosts your output by 6 dB and cuts your distortion. And it's commonly used in subwoofers. I've never seen it used in headphones. Now they, they also have it in like some the same arrangement in some much more affordable models. Well, not much more, you know, six thousand versus twelve thousand. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have to spend twelve thousand. And the six thousand dollar ones were really, really cool too. But these were just spectacular. And actually they sounded good. Um I was I was I was looking at these things going, you know, when when you look at a super, super, super elaborate set of headphones, a lot of times I think like, yeah, these are probably bad. Because they're made partially for the the look and the whole and to try to be incredible but these were really really good and they were driven by this amplifier that was like the size of a, a, a tower computer and literally the size it was like it looked like a tower computer and but it were was heavy were the headphones heavy no because they, they were not massive. they were not that heavy um it's titanium so titanium's really light you know well yeah 
And there was also, this was the launch point for uh, Focal launched a new version of the Utopia headphone, which is kind of, you know, a lot of people have said it's kind of the best headphone in the world. I think, I, I you know, I reviewed them a, while, a long while back and yeah, said they're certainly one of the best. And um, they just came out with a new version though. That's just a, a somewhat re-engineered, improved version. I think they were originally launched like six years ago or something. Um, so this is coming out. And it's the Focal Utopia. It's it's carrying the same model name number. They're going to probably loosely call it the Focal Utopia 2022. But okay. now it's about four thousand bucks. Oh, and mm. so it's not cheap. But you right. know, at least we're going to get it in for review. And uh, the sound quality of the original was was really pretty spectacular. So I have high did hopes. You, did you get one. to hear the new one at the show? I did. Okay. Very briefly. I mean, I don't, I don't really pay attention to stuff that shows that much. Not the sound, yeah, because, you so know, there's a lot of noise. It's a small, it's a, you know, this is in a hotel ballroom. It's pretty big, but, it, you know, it's about, I would just take a wild guess and say there were 100 companies exhibiting, maybe 80, something like that. Hmm. And there was a lot going on, and it was pretty crowded, and, you know. Hey, real um, quick, before we move on, I just want to say, since we're talking about Focal headphones, I just remembered um, right now, if you sign up for the Soundstage newsletter, they're having a one one person who who's subscribed to the newsletter is going to win a pair of Focal headphones. It's not going to be these. It's going to be the more affordable closed back uh, Celeste. I think I'm pronouncing yeah, that right. Correct. Um, yeah. $999 headphone. They look very, very similar, except that they're closed back. They're gorgeous. Uh, I've gotten a couple of people I know to sign up for the newsletter in the hopes that they win and they can give me the headphones because I really <laughs> want them. <laughs> don't tell Doug that. <laughs> we'll probably, we'll let this out maybe. Well, I don't know. Um, or maybe we won't. But anyway, yeah, just Google uh, Soundstage newsletter sign up and you will find the page and that giveaway is running uh i think till october 31st so yeah, yeah it's sorry. a pretty it's a it's a pretty good prize for signing up for a newsletter yeah. um so back to can jam there were i'm just going to rattle off some stuff uh t plus a headphones are kind of new they've been out for i think a year or two or whatever and they're super super high end and uh but they came out with a new model that is not shipping yet but it's called the solitaire t it's 1600 bucks and it's got bluetooth and active noise canceling. So these are like the new super, super ultra high-end business traveler headphones. I don't know how they mm -hmm. sound because I don't think they were even working. And of course, again, I don't pay much attention to the sound at these shows. But They probably didn't have any specs on those, right? Like they didn't tell what codecs they support and things like that. Oh, maybe they did, but remember? you know, I was, I was, I was rushing through the show in a day as usual, I'll, so I couldn't. I'll read that in your review when it comes out. Yeah, I'm, and and you know, the new uh, Dan Clark Audio Expanse debut; those are about four thousand bucks, and those are kind of an engineering tour de force. I mean, Dan Clark Audio makes some pretty awesome headphones, but this is like another level above where I think he has achieved before, and they're really, really. You look at them, they look, they're super, super cool. They have this grill that's kind of, they're open back. So they have this grill that's kind of all around them that's made of some kind of, oh, I can't remember what it's made of, but it looks incredibly cool. And it was, they were super light and they sounded really, really good. And uh, I was impressed with those. And there were a couple of super high end earphones I saw. There was one from, um, 
the new uh, U18 from 64 Audio has um, 18 drivers per earpiece. <laughs> Jinkies. <laughs> Which wow. is a lot, but they fit them all in there. And those are like three grand. And then there were the new um, Empire Ears Od- Odyssey. O- o- no, Odyssey, not not Odyssey. Not an Odyssey. Odyssey. Okay. Right. O- the Empire Ears Odyssey. Like whoever that Greek dude was that went on an Odyssey. Um, whoever. Ulysses? Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I should know that stuff better, but I never will. I'll die before I learn that stuff. But whatever. So um, anyway, these new Odyssey headphones mm-hmm. or earphones are 3500 bucks and they're they're done as a as a partnership with Astell and Curran who are famous for making um you know these like high end portable music players but yeah the the driver layout in these things is mind blowing remember this is a pair of earphones these are little mm-hmm. earphones that you shove in your ears and so each one of them has a bone conduction driver for deep bass Two dynamic drivers, and that's just like a little miniaturized speaker for upper bass. Five balance armatures for mid-range, and two electrostatic drivers for treble. Holy moly. And how they <laughs> integrate that into wow. this little thing and get the acoustics to work, uh, that must have taken a lot of work. But yeah. I'm going to try to see if I can get a set of these to here because I am just very curious. One thing I wish you could review, we can't quite do our normal shtick of, I wish I could hear this, but of all the stuff you covered in your coverage, the two things that I wish I could hear are the mm-hmm. new Focal and this cross zone headphone, the CZ 10 that has the, the driver and the like 23 millimeter driver positioned in front of the ear firing backwards, sort of similar to the heavies headphones that yeah. we talked about in a much earlier podcast. I just, I want to hear that. I want to hear what that sounds like. Um, I've heard some gaming headsets that sort of try to do the same thing. And I don't know. It's just interesting. It's an mm. interesting approach. And I'd like to listen to it and see if how, how their approach works. And what do you think? Well, multi-driver headphones, headphones mm-hmm. with more than one driver in each ear cup have always been a dicey proposition because of all the acoustical interference between them. And, and you know it's compl- it's it's hard to put complex crossovers into these things and you kind of need complex crossovers to make these drivers work right and to make them not interfere with each other you need like steep slopes and things like that which means lots of parts mm-hmm. and so i am just always i only listen to these very briefly but uh i'm just always skeptical i have heard uh i will confess that uh Samsung once brought me a set of headphones uh, straight from Korea to listen to. And they were multi-driver surround sound headphones. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, these are going to suck. They were great. Mm. Now, of course, Samsung never sold them. (laughs) No. (laughs) They were great. So it can be done. Those OSIC headphones, which also never went went for sale, which were supposed to be like a, a... uh, a VR headphone, you know, with with kind of Atmos type effects and stuff, but with drivers actually like a, like at different places around your ear. Yeah. Uh, those were pretty cool too, and they were going to be like four hundred bucks. They never sold them. Mm-hmm. Company went out of business, which is sad yeah. because they had some technology there, but they just couldn't. I guess they just couldn't ever really afford to get it to market. It amuses me that you say dicey proposition as if that were a bad thing. You live for dicey propositions. I live to measure them, not to listen to them. (laughs) 
That's valid. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Listening can be very unpleasant. Measurement is just like, ooh, look at that. Yeah. How did they get it to do that? <laughs> and why? Yeah. So All right, yeah. man. Well, we've talked about Can Jam, I think, enough. And unless there's anything else you want to point out in the no, coverage, that's sure. Good. Go look at the coverage, and and you can uh, on SoundstageGlobal.com. And you can get, see pictures of all this stuff and, you know, see what you like and see what's... And, you know, we'll be reviewing quite a few of these products in the in the months to come. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's take a break, listen to some tunes for a bit, and uh, we'll be right back. Brent Butterworth. And I'm Dennis Berger. And we are going to conclude our discussions of the latest topics in audio with an article from the Absolute Sound where they gave their Golden Ear Award 2022 to the Metaxas and Sins Torpion TRX Reel-to-Reel Tape Deck. And This is a really fascinating piece of equipment. Let's just get it out there right now. This thing costs thirty six thousand bucks, mm-hmm. and I think that at thirty six thousand bucks, it looks like kind of a bargain. Um, <laughs> well, because it, look, it looks amazing. It looks like this looks like something Tony Stark would own. Yeah. So Absolute Sound gave it an award, but they only ran like one photo. If you want to mm-hmm. really see what this thing looks like, you have to go to HiFiPig.com. They have an article because they, they, they apparently just picked up uh, Absolute Sounds, which is a high-end audio distributor, just picked this thing up. And so Hi-Fi Pig is running. This is a news item dated August 22nd. And they have the full set of pictures. And this this thing looks – Tony Stark would, would see this and like think like, damn, why didn't I think of that? Um, uh, yeah. I mean, this is, this is the coolest-looking audio product I've ever seen in my life. And I've seen yeah. a few. Um, so it's a, it's a rebuilt or it's a re it's based on an old Stellavox portable reel to reel recorder, quarter inch. And, but this guy, uh, Costas Metaxas, who runs this company, who's a really brilliant, uh, industrial designer, rethought the whole thing. I mean, from, it looks like he, he reconsidered like every screw and nut and every little teeny tiny piece of it. And it is just mind blowingly spectacular. And I'm sure it works great. And I, you know, being an old guy who learned to record in the eighties, I still have a soft spot in my heart for reel to reel tape. And mm-hmm. I think, oh boy, reel to reel tape. I mean, I, I don't see it as a super viable medium for audiophile listening, but as a recording format, I just thought it had a great sound to it. It wasn't, it was not as good. It was not as transparent as digital, but it had a certain sort of just warmth and kind of drive and kind of guts to it that I just always loved. And, and 
even not so great tape decks had that, you know, not, not just the fancy ones, but even the kind of cheaper quarter inch ones you buy from Pioneer were like that. Yeah. I, I would love to hear this thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, well, you, I, you know, I mean, we've, we've, we've said quite a bit about the fact that I'm, I'm, you know, more into digital. I'm not into vinyl things like that, but man, if I could afford it, this would be an analog format that I could get into. Cause you know, I mean, you know, we had, we had reel to reel when I was a kid at quarter inch reel to reel and there is a nostalgia factor, but also I don't think those tapes didn't degrade as fast as vinyl did. You know, you certainly didn't have to clean them. I thought it sounded pretty great, but also there's just something, there's something hypnotic about it. And I think one of the things that I am sort of nostalgic for when it comes to reel to reel, and this may just be a consequence of the era in which I grew up, but man, you put on an album and you listened to the whole damn album. There was, there was no skipping around to this song or that song. Yeah. I mean, you listen to an album as a, as a, as a, as a self-contained work. And I thought that was pretty cool. That's something I missed. So I would, I would love this. This is, this is something that I wish I could afford. And plus um, I have to say, there's a lot of things in high end audio you, you can buy for 36 grand, a lot. Mm-hmm. There is nothing that would grab attention the way this thing does. I mean, it yeah. is just, I would love to have this in my living room. It is just so incredibly cool. And probably yeah. if I did, I would just go scrounge. Look, the new reel-to-reel tape releases cost a fortune. They're, oh, they're yeah. what are they, like 100 bucks to start with? Looking on, well, there's a website that I found, you know, it's interesting. We talked before about eight track tapes and it's like, yeah, you can buy a couple of tapes, but where are you going to buy the player? In this case, well, here's a player. It's $36,000. There are limited tapes, but there's a website called tapeproject.com mm-hmm. and they're making new reel to reel tapes. But if you go to elusive disc, which is where I used to buy all of the DVD audios that weren't sent to me for review, there's like five pages of brand new reel-to-reel tapes. There's a coming soon category. And in the coming soon category, there are 54 upcoming reel-to-reel releases. Wow. That's a lot, but they range in price from $125 to $1,160. Yeah, that's that's a little steep for me. That is a lot. But, you know, that's the $1,160 ones are like, those are like four reel collections, you know? Yeah. Um, but now, yeah, I mean, even but bargain basement stuff is 125 bucks, so that's that's quite a bit. But you could get stuff used, I would imagine, online. And I know sure. that in like vintage audio stores, um, they have you know stacks of old reel to reels. Now, what kind of condition are they in? It's a crapshoot. And of course, garage sales. You'll you'll see reel to reels at garage sales, and they might be something somebody recorded. Mm-hmm. which could be great or could be horrible. Uh, they might be pre-recorded reel-to-reels. You might get some, uh, you know, Helen Reddy or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> real yeah. classic of the era. <laughs> and, um, wow. you know, but but probably you get more like, you know, the, the you know, Chicago Symphony with, you know, uh, George Sell, I think it was. I don't know my classical as well as I probably should. A lot of people are probably screaming at their, at their whatever media, whatever device they're using to listen to right now. Um, <laughs> Here comes our next one star review. How did this idiot get a job writing about audio? Yeah, there's our next one star yeah. review. Can we make it possible to do a half star review? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, man. So anyway, yeah. this is everybody should go to Hi-Fi Pig and check this thing out. This thing is just mind-blowing. It is just so incredibly cool. And I bet it sounds great. I mean, he clearly thought through the whole thing. And it looks like it's just solid as all hell. And um, oh, it's, it's meticulous just, engineering. Just, and it's an art piece, you know? I yeah. Mean, it's just... I mean, if you bought this thing, you'd have – well, look, if you can afford 36 grand for this, you can afford a, a few, you know, $125 reel-to-reel tape releases. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we should say it looks like it's – they don't spe- specify in any of the articles we've seen, but it looks like it's quarter-inch. So that mm-hmm. means it's not – I mean, it's not as good as the half-inch Pro machines, but right. it's – and, you know, there are people doing half-inch – you know, uh, re- you know, new releases on half-inch tape, and they're mm-hmm. really, really expensive, but they're really, really good. This is quarter-inch. So this is the consumer format, but yeah. it's still really good. And this thing will will work at seven and a half, fifteen, or thirty inches per second, which quarter-inch normally did not work at thirty inches per second. More, most of the home decks you buy are seven and a half or fifteen. So mm-hmm. you should you should be able to do some extraordinary recording with this thing. I wish I had something like this because I would absolutely mix my stuff down to this rather than mix down to digital. Yeah. But then I just convert it to MP3 so everybody could hear it. <laughs> <laughs> but still, yeah. this would give it a sonic signature, I'm sure, that I would really love. Yeah. We, we'll provide in the show notes links to both the Absolute Sounds coverage and Hi-Fi Pigs coverage so people can see uh, both both approaches to it, both write-ups. So. Hey, I'll tell you what. If uh, if Metaxas and Sins wants to make a, uh, a plug-in for Pro Tools that's like a, a – a, a, that models the response to this thing, we'll use it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nice. <laughs> Yes, would that be awesome? Absolutely. I, there are there are tape, there are tape plugins that you can get. I think I have one. I don't. I use it once in a while. But um, there are a lot of different tape plugins you can get that'll that'll give your you know supposedly give your recording the sound of tape, and they work you know to some degree. But yeah, there's still, a couple there's, of new Waves has got a couple of new studio plugins too. Like you can replicate the sound of of Abbey Road Studios in a plugin. Yeah. So, so yeah. you know, so so there's no you know there's. Yeah, you could probably recreate the whatever magic this thing has. However, you can't recreate the visual magic of it. It is just no. spectacular, and you should go look at it. And you know, just yeah. just just even if you think high end audio is stupid, you should go look at. You're gonna you're not gonna look at this thing and go that's stupid. You're gonna look at this thing and go, okay, that's cool. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, man. Oh God, look at the stand for this thing. Yeah. Oh, you Holy didn't see the stand? Crap. Oh, the stand. The stand makes it. I mean, the stand is like. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That is just gorgeous. Okay. So you anyway. have a look. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about this one? No. Send me one for free. <laughs> I can't. I don't have one. <laughs> not you. Oh, you're talking to them. Okay. Taxes They're not. Thins. Send me one They're for not. free. I'll They're write a review of it. To us. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> All right, man. Let's wrap this up and do some credits. Cool. So uh, the music on this one is going to be by the, you know, the, 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 Music at the beginning and end is always me, but mm-hmm. we're going to make all the music in the middle of this is going to be by my friend Terry Landry, who is working on an album now. Should I say that? I'm going to say it. Anyway. Yeah, you should he's say work- that. Because if it- I say it, then he'll have to do it. Um, he'll finish <laughs> it. So he's working on an album now of super, super, super cool sort of uh, lounge tiki music that is audiophile oriented. We would link to his website if he had one, but 
for whatever reason he doesn't so we'll just well, give him a shout he, out he makes a good living playing saxophones so he kind of doesn't need to promote himself that much well, however that's true that's valid however yeah. um you know whether or not we throw him a link is not going to make a difference <laughs> on what gigs he gets okay I know. So it's <laughs> just polite. So, I know, but still. Anyway, so the 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 two pieces of music that are between our segments are going to be by Terry, and they're great. So he just sent me a new one today. So we should say this is a Butterburger production, which means uh, one of us mixed and mastered it. We we don't know who yet. Um, and we're a presentation of the Soundstage Network, which, as we said in the intro, is a collection of nine microsites that cover all sorts of topics in audio. So if you're interested in consumer audio, there is something there for you somewhere. Hit soundstage.com. Yeah. Cool. Anything else? No, I'm done. Right, cool. Where are you going for lunch, man? I'm going downstairs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a long trip. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, as usual, we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. Thanks for joining us. And please don't leave us any more one-star reviews unless we really deserve it. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, everybody. All right. Bye. Bye.